All right, thanks, Brad, for helping us out today. Thanks, John, for leading us in worship. It is good to be uh, together on this uh, day, the Lord's Day. And welcome online. We are so glad to have you with us as well, worshiping uh, online. Uh, It's good to be together. Well, this past week, we watched, well, at least I did, maybe some of you did, uh, the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States of America. And, of course, some of my friends were celebrating, some of my friends were lamenting. And we've been talking, you know, you've probably heard just about how divided we are as a nation. And that meant that President Biden called for unity in his inauguration speech. But this isn't a new thing. In fact, I looked it up. President Biden was the fourth president in a row to call for unity in his inauguration speech. So... Why are we still here? Why are we still talking about all this division if every president for the last four have called for unity? Well, this isn't just happening in the United States. I was talking to my uh, colleague, Aaron Thompson. He's our pastor of community life here at Crossview Howard Drive. And he said, you know, the same thing is happening in Sweden. They're having these same discussions. They're not talking specifically about our inauguration and our president, but they're the... um, the same sorts of political factions are developing because we are a global world. We live in a globalized society where people are wrestling with some of these same things no matter where they are. And we're a divided world. And yet, I think the call for unity that we heard from President Biden, Trump, uh, Bush and Clinton before them, uh, and Obama it's clear that we all long for unity. We want unity as well. And I think it's because we're created for it. We're created to be in unity with one another. And so Jesus called his people to demonstrate that unity by living out a united life together. He called for it in a prayer in John chapter 17 that we looked at last week, so we'll put that up on the screen for you. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son, Jesus. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved, uh, even as you have loved me. So we're in this series right now on why does the church exist? What's our purpose? Why do we do what we do? And in week one, we talked about this idea that God gave us about making disciples. And the idea of making disciples we talk about at Crossview as this. We want to help you connect to Jesus. We want you to learn about who Jesus is. We want you to learn from Jesus. And then secondly, we talk about helping you connect Jesus to your world. And that comes from the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where we are called to make disciples. And that make disciple piece is really that two parts. It's connecting to Jesus and connecting Jesus to your world. Week two, we talked about how we do that. And we shared about our strategy that comes from the early church. And we talked about how we worship together and we invite people. We serve others We 
get together in small groups and we do smaller community. We have radical generosity. And that's how we live out that make disciples of all nations. And then last week, we jumped into our church values and we talked specifically about how we live together with grace and humility. And we talked about how that brings unity. We looked at the beginning uh, of Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be continuing in Ephesians chapter 4 today. We're in verses 25 through 5-2 if you want to grab your Bible device or your Bible and open up to Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 through 5-2. That's where we'll be today. And the beginning of that text starts off with this, therefore, which really tells us we need to look back and remember what we've been talking about. It could also mean as a result of. So as we talked about last week, we talked about living together with grace and humility. But the other idea that was present in that text was this idea around unity, being united. And maturity was the ability to live united, to live with grace and humility with other people. And then there's a section in between what Sandy preached on last week and what I'm going to preach on this week. That's also an important part, so I'm going to give a quick summary of that. Verses 17 through 24 in particular talks about how we can't keep living like the Gentiles. And the way that the Gentiles are living are separate from God. And they're corrupt. So we can't live in corruption. We can't live separate from God. Instead, we need to live in this new way that we've been taught by Jesus. And we've been just, we just finished last series, a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' greatest teaching on how we're to live in relationship to one another, in relationship to God, in relationship to our world. If you haven't had a chance to go back and see some of those, it'd be great, because that is how we are to live. We're to live in righteousness and holiness. And he has this language that he talks about putting off the old self, the corrupt self, the Gentile self that he talks about living separate from God. And he says, putting on the new self, the righteousness and the holiness. And we're going to see that idea of putting on, uh, sorry, putting off and then putting on repeated again and again throughout today's passage. So let's read it. Beginning in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off, there it is, falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So what we see here is a bunch of specific ways that we are supposed to put off the old, and to put on the new self. And for Paul, this is maturity. This is what it looks like to be mature. It's to put off the old, corrupt things, to stop living apart from God and start to live with God at the center of our lives, start to live 
in these holy and righteous ways. You know, in the Western world, we often think of maturity as knowledge. The more that I know, the more mature I am. But in the ancient world and in Paul's world, and quite frankly, in most of the majority world, doing, action is maturity. Living out these truths is maturity. And so the call for the church that Paul is giving is that we live a mature life. We do these things that he's talking about. We live in unity as Jesus was talking about in John chapter 17. And we have this helpful image that we've talked about, this idea of putting off and putting on. And it's kind of like clothes. At the end of the day, when you are done with your day, you've dirtied your clothes, you put them off. And you put on new clothes for the next day. And so Paul calls us to put off all of these dirty things in our lives and to put on the corresponding things. So the first thing that we're called to put on in this passage, and there are five of them, is to put on truth. To do that, we have to put off falsehood. And of course, falsehood includes lying to others. We don't want to do that. But I think more common than lying outright to other people, I think we lie to ourselves. We tell ourselves things like, I have to be perfect. Or, I'm unlovable. Or, I cannot escape my past. Or, you know, I really think that people should meet all of my needs. And we need to get rid of those ideas. And we need to start thinking of the new truths. We need to put on the new truths. And so I found this chart this week that was fascinating to me. In place of these things that we often believe about ourselves or about others, we can put on what the truth that God says about these things. So, people can meet some of our needs, some of the time. Only God can meet all of my needs. Or, people should, uh, on the one hand, we can think about how, um, you know, others are more messed up than me, or to get along, everyone needs to think and feel and act the same way as me. But in reality, the, the fact is that people are God's masterpieces, and they're designed to be unique. And people should accept each other, but challenge each other to grow. And so these things, uh, you can take a look at these later, I think are really helpful for us to think in terms of the things that I need to put off, and then the corresponding things that I can put on. And the question for us is, what are the lies that I am believing about myself or about others? And then what is the truth about that? The second thing that Paul calls us to put on is peace. And he says, he talks about this anger that we have. And you know, it's interesting, this is the third time that we've talked about anger in the last three series. So there's something to this. This is really important. We talked about it in the Roman series last spring. We talked about it in the uh, Sermon on the Mount series in the fall. And now here we are talking about it in the Mission of the Church series. This is really important because a lot of people struggle with this. And as we see in this text, the devil wants to get a foothold. And when we get angry and we lash out at other people, we're allowing the devil to get that foothold because the devil wants to feed us lies. He wants us to believe all those negative things about ourselves, about others. And it causes us to tear others down. And so this 
section that Paul is giving us is actually a direct quote from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. And it talks about how in your anger, don't sin. Instead, it says in your bed, when you're lying down in your bed, silently search your hearts, your heart. And I think, wow, that sounds eerily familiar to what Jesus said in terms of like when we are wrestling with these things, we need to deal with the plank in our own eye before we deal with the speck in our brother or sister's eye. And so in your anger, what would it look like for us to examine our own hearts first and to confess our sins? And I think it's interesting because Paul adds that I think this is so important that I don't want you to even let the sun go down. That's powerful. Well, Paul also encourages us to put on generosity. We need to put off stealing. Certainly, we need to not take things from other people, stealing property, etc. But I think what this is really connected to is this is connected to the body language that, that Paul has been using. And when we're being lazy, when we are not serving and giving of ourselves and giving of the resources that God has for us, whether it's our time, our talents, or our treasures, when we are keeping those from the body, we're actually stealing from the body. We're stealing from one another. And so the reverse of that is that we would put on generosity, that we would be generous with the things that God has given us, be it our talent, our treasure, or um, our time. And certainly, we want to be generous. We don't want to take things from others. But be generous. God has given you much. The fourth thing that Paul calls us to is encouragement. We need, he says we need to put off unwholesome talk. And uh, I think, simply put, this is gossip and insults. And we know what it's like, at least I do, I've experienced that, sense of somebody insulting me or somebody gossiping about me. I think we've all experienced that at some point in time. And it isn't fun. It's no fun to experience that. It's hurtful. So I just want to ask, can we commit to doing our best to speaking well of each other and only that which builds each other up? Now, that doesn't mean that we won't critique each other from time to time. I believe that that can help build somebody up, but it's in the intention behind it in terms of how we do that. Sometimes, honestly, I need to be told that I'm hurting somebody because I have no idea. I'm that ignorant or whatever it is. But we can do that with grace and humility, which is what Sandy talked about last week, and a desire to build the other person up rather than tear them down. The fifth call that Paul has for us is to put on kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And to do that, we're going to put off bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander. And this is where it gets really interesting to me. Uh, that word kindness is chrysas in Greek, and it means fit for or useful for. And so when you're kind to somebody else, you're actually being helpful. You're a benefit to that other person. Man, that's cool. How could we be a benefit for other people? That could really help the church and the world. Then we have this word compassion, and this one's fantastic. In the Greek, it's eusplachnos. Isn't that cool? 
you splachnas. And uh, of course, it means pity or tenderheartedness. Uh, there's a sense of care and empathizing with other people. But the second part of this is fantastic. It literally means bowel movement. All right? Bowel movement is what we're talking about here. And I think that's interesting because when you have a bowel movement, you cannot help but act. Am I right? When you have a bowel movement, you've got to go. And so I think about that in terms of if we're having a bowel movement in terms of our relationship with other people, this is crazy, wouldn't we go to action with them? Wouldn't we go to do something to help that person? And I think about this in terms of when we hear stories of injustice, instead of dismissing the story and saying, oh, I don't believe that, would we say, would we be called to action in that? And would we say, I maybe don't understand you, but I believe you. That's action. I'm going to believe you. And maybe you're going to take further action in that. But there's an action in that when we see injustice. The last word uh, is forgiveness. And it, it's haritzmai. Uh, and it, it's simple. This one's easy. It's do something pleasant for the person. It's to forgive somebody or to restore somebody. And when we put these five things together that we've been talking about, when we put off those old things and we put on those new clothes, when we live them out in our community, we are united in Christ. Now, in case you aren't convinced that you should live into these five things, Paul gives us three reasons to live them out. Reason number one is in verse 25. We are one body. If you think about that body language, it's really helpful. Our decisions, our actions impact other people. We are not islands unto ourselves. We are not alone. The way that I live impacts you. And when you think about that body language in particular, when one part of your body hurts, doesn't the rest of your body also hurt? And so when the body of Christ is, when one part of the body of Christ is hurting, the whole body should be hurting. Well, the second reason that Paul gives us to live into these things is in verse 30. He tells us to not grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want to break God's heart. God loves us so much. We don't want to take for granted what God has given us, the gift that God has given us. And he's encouraging us to remember that so that we too would live into these things. And then finally, Paul finishes this section in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, finally, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus is the sacrifice. He gave himself. And if we think about that, and we think about Paul calling us to follow that example, we too can think about, what am I willing, am I willing to give up myself for someone else? And what would it look like for me? What would it look like for you? What would it look like for us as a church community to give up ourselves for others? You know, so much of today's political conversation is about my rights or their rights. 
my rights are being violated or their rights are being violated. And I wonder what would it look like for us as a church to talk more about what we are willing to give up for somebody else than what we're going to hold on to. Now today's passage, these five kind of things that we've been talking about are not exhaustive in any stretch of the imagination. It's representative of the kind of behavior that Paul and Jesus wants us to strive for, to live for. And so in 2012, our council, our church council, wrote a behavioral covenant. And if you are part of this church, it's something that we ask you to strive for and commit to living out. And it's connected to our church mission. In the beginning, it says, in order to maintain the unity of the church and our focus on the Great Commission and Great Commandment. See, it's connected to the mission of the church. The Great Commission is that Matthew chapter 28 passage that we talked about making disciples. And the Great Commandment is simply to love others as you would love yourself. And so... Our behavioral covenant helps us, when we live into it, to live into the mission of the church. And I want to highlight parts of the first two. The first one says we accept disagreement and conflict as normal. And we'll deal with them by speaking honestly and humbly. Which is exactly what Paul was calling us to do at the beginning of our passage today. To speak truthfully with one another. And I think it's interesting that we accept that disagreement and conflict are normal because they are. We run into that scenario with one another. The second one is this. We will appreciate each person's gifts and will respect others in both speech and action by listening carefully, speaking thoughtfully, and avoiding personal attack. There are believe eight others, because I believe there's ten, is that right? Uh, other uh, ideas in this behavioral covenant that we as a church commit to living together and living in unity uh, around. And so what we want to encourage you this week to do is to read it. We are going to make it available online at crossview.church slash discuss. Crossview.church slash discuss. And uh, we want to encourage you to have a conversation with your smaller church community. That might be your family around the dinner table. could be a great conversation to have. Read it and talk about what stands out to you. How do you think you're doing? How do you think we're doing in living this out? And where are you challenged in this behavioral covenant? It could also be your small group. We're encouraging all small groups to start their small group with a discussion around this behavioral covenant. We did it this last week with my uh, small group, with our small group, and it was fantastic. And, you know, our small group is going really well. But we talked about this idea that, you know, this is something for us to talk about before we have the problem, not after. Although it's good to bring up in the midst of the conflict, too. So we can remember this is how we want to relate to one another. And then we're encouraging any church gathering. We did it at staff team meeting this last week. We'll do it again this coming week. Uh, We'll do it at church council this week. Just pull out this briefly, take a moment, let everybody read through it, highlight something that you notice, what stands out to you, talk about how we're doing and where you're challenged to live this out. 
And then I want you to imagine what would it be look, what would it look like if we were to live out these things that are in Ephesians chapter 4 and in our behavioral covenant. What would it look like for us to live these things out as a community? I had a friend who was on the Capitol, uh, at the Capitol on January 6th. And she wrote about her experience in the local newspaper that she, uh, where she lives. And uh, she said, I asked, how can we be so severely divided? And in the days since then, she has wrote, my eyes have been opened to the breathtaking amount of hatred and cruelty there is out there for anyone who thinks differently. And I believe it. I've read through some of the comments, and she has been uh, hurt and cut down uh, by many people. And so I've been impressed by her grace and humility as she's walked through this and her response to those people. She has said over and over again, I don't claim to be right. In fact, I have no idea what is true anymore, at, at least politically. And I wondered what would it look like for us to live more like my friend in this tumultuous time in our community where we have people in this church that are on the right, that are on the left, seeking to live in unity under Christ together? What would it look like for us to seek to understand more than to seek to tear down? What would it look like for us to live out this behavioral covenant that we have? I'm excited to hear about the conversations that you have this week as you look at it. And I imagine if we live more into this covenant, this behavioral covenant, that we will be better equipped to live out the mission of the church, which is to make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to the earth to show us what it looks like to live in right relationship with one another, with you, for your willingness to go to the cross and die for us as an example for us, to be reminded of what we can give up, And then the fact that you were raised from the dead, that you have overcome death itself, and that we now have, as Ephesians tells us earlier, access to that same power, which is going to help us to live these things out. We can't do this on our own. We need your help, Jesus. Give us your help. Help us to follow you. Help us to love one another. Amen.